This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. When I was in college, I traveled as part of a recruiting team. We would go all over the country singing and speaking in chapels and churches, recruiting for the school that I attended. We had an athletic director that would often go with us and speak at times. He was a favorite in so many of the places that we frequented. I can still remember his message that called people to make a decision to follow Jesus. He would say, you know, in baseball, you're either safe or out. There is no fence sitting. Jesus said, he that is not with me is against me. And these were powerful words in my life, and they bear repeating today. Jesus' ministry always demanded a response. It's a truthful witness today in Matthew chapter 8, looking at verse 32 through 34. Go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Matthew chapter 8 records for us a lot of events that Jesus did. It's one of those chapters that I hope that Jesus has on DVR when we get to heaven to watch them. Can you imagine being a follower of Jesus after he came down from the mountain in Matthew 5 through 7? Just look at all that happened. Jesus touches a leper. This act is practically unthinkable for fear of being infected themselves, but instead... The first four verses of chapter 8 have Jesus embracing him and healing him. In verses 5 through 13, Jesus is healing people long distance now. A centurion, a Gentile from Capernaum, comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his daughter. Jesus first intends to go to his house and heal the girl, which would itself have violated the Talmud, stating a Jew is not allowed in a Gentile's home. Knowing this, the man saves Jesus the drama and merely asks him to heal her from far away. Jesus commends the man for his faith. Just a passing thought. Do I have enough faith that Jesus can do what he wants to do in my life, even when I feel like he is not present with me at that very moment? Sometimes we don't understand why we go through the, quote, terrible agony that we experience. But this kind of faith is what is needed in moments like this. In verses 14 through 18, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law along with everyone else in the city while driving out evil spirits. In verse 23 through 27, he's calming storms. In verses 28 through 34, he's casting demons out into pigs that then run down the mountain and into the sea. Again, all of this is binge-worthy material. Can you imagine Much of the groupings of the events of Jesus' life are not necessarily chronologically organized, but instead they are grouped thematically, or even geographically. These stories are set next to one another for a purpose. Matthew's point here is to demonstrate Jesus' power 
over all things, demons, sickness, storms, Gentiles, Jews. Jesus' power knows no limit or bounds. These scenes also underscore the various responses to that power, and they are incredibly telling. Scene 1. The first story speaks of a centurion who comes to Jesus and asks for him to heal his servant. Now, it's interesting the lengths to which a man will go when he is desperate. This man was a Roman soldier. Not just a soldier. He was a leader of soldiers. And yet his servant was sick, presumably to the point of death. The centurion was willing to go to a Jewish teacher and healer and exercise so much faith that God could heal his servant even though he wasn't a Jew, even though they weren't in the same city. All of this showed his faith in Jesus. The centurion was desperate enough for healing, that he was willing to exercise the confidence to seek out a Jewish rabbi. And then after locating him, the man humbled himself enough to recognize the Jewish customs, which said that a Jew was not to enter the house of a Gentile. And then he further proves his faith by believing that Jesus has the power to heal the girl remotely. This desperation motivated his faith in Jesus, a belief that drew the applause of the master. Now, it's fascinating to notice that the centurion says that he has men under him. And in the same way, Jesus has sickness and disease under him. The centurion recognized Jesus as having authority over all sickness and disease, just as the centurion had soldiers who came and went at his command Jesus had power over disease that came and went at his command. Scene 2 tells us of a man, a scribe, in fact, that comes to Jesus to tell him of his devotion. He says he wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus responded that he should indeed follow him, but that he was homeless. You see, Jesus knew the scribe's heart who beheld this kind of power and must have thought that a man with this kind of power must have it made. I mean, it sounds like a good time. But Jesus pulls the rose-colored glasses from the eyes of this scribe pretty quickly. He shows him that following Jesus means that our roots will never grow deeply in the soil of this earth. We are foreigners, strangers, refugees in this land. Our home is in another country. Shortly after that, another disciple comes and declares his intent to follow Jesus after he buries his father. But Jesus waits for no man. He responded that the dead should bury the dead. Now this phrase is a play on words. It was the custom of one man to wait until his father's death so that he could receive his inheritance. And Jesus' response was to allow the dead, spiritually, to bury the dead physically. Jesus was saying that his greed for the estate was actually stopping him from being the disciple that Jesus hoped he would be. These two men were entangled with worldly things, houses, and inheritance, rather than following Jesus as they should. The third story involves the disciples amid a violent storm at sea, and Jesus asleep in their midst. They are convinced of their demise, and they cry out, Lord, save us, we're going to die. And Jesus' response to them was quite odd. Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? 
In desperation, they called out to Jesus, much like the centurion, only bizarrely minus the centurion's faith. Just consider the two of them next to each other. On the one hand, the disciples are convinced of their death, and on the other, the centurion is confident of God's authority over the disease of his servant. You see, when placed next to one another, they are in stark contrast. Consider, they have no faith, and yet they cry out to God. The centurion shows what it is like to cry out to God in faith. It's also essential, though, to understand that Jesus saved both of them from their malady. It is not our faith that saves, but God's power. The difference in the two is not that God did not save, but that the centurion's faith is commended while the disciples' doubts are condemned. The centurion shows more faith in God's authority than the disciples do. In the fourth scene, after Jesus heals, casting out many demons, he comes to the region of the Gadarenes. Here he encounters two men who are demonically possessed. Jesus again casts out the demons. But what stands out most to me here is how Jesus' ministry demands a response. Here you have two extremes, following Jesus or rejecting him. There is no middle ground. This polarization is highlighted in several ways. First, Jesus makes it very clear that following him will not be easy and that it requires everything that we have. Jesus sets the bar exceedingly high in following him. He told the one man whose boast was that he could follow him anywhere, was that he had absolutely nowhere to lay his head. It's a good thing the man would follow him anywhere, because he was going everywhere. There were no roots, no settling down, no getting comfortable in this world. The cost of following Jesus must be our highest priority, as evidenced by the man who intended to follow Jesus after the death of his father. The end of the chapter is especially peculiar because the man who owned the pigs were the ones who told the town, and the town comes out and formally rejects Jesus by asking him to leave their region. They kick him out when he cast out their demons. I can only imagine how incensed these men must have been after losing a herd of pigs and how many lies they must have spread. Even the pigs respond to Jesus' call because they go and plunge themselves into the sea. Nonetheless, Jesus' ministry always demanded a response, and theirs came in the form of complete rejection. As followers of Jesus, we don't get the liberty of calling ourselves followers and sitting on the fence. We're either safe or out. Even in the book of Revelation, God spews out of his mouth the disciple that is lukewarm. It should cost us. We can't be ambivalent. We can't be lackadaisical. We can't be lukewarm. We have to be all in or all out. It has to be our highest priority. How can you be ambivalent about the calming of seas and about the healing of lepers and about the casting out of demons? Either Jesus is exactly who he says he is, or he's a complete farce, but we don't get to be ambivalent. C.S. Lewis nailed this on the head when he said, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing, 
that people often say about Jesus. Oh, I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing that we must not say, Lewis says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he will be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. End quote. Either Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and we fall at his feet in complete submission, or he's crazy and we wholeheartedly reject him. So, Father, as we come to you today in the mind and the thought of who Jesus is, Lord, we want to give you our life. Nothing compares to you. We confess you as God. Lord, you can have our pigs if you want them. We can't get upset if you wreck our pigs for your glory. For we have given our lives to you. All we have is yours. And we submit to your leadership. Lead on, O King Eternal. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.